it's it was the beginning of a journey for me, you know, as far as taking it around and and fighting for what it calls for. But really, the Uluru Statement captures our history from you know before colonisation, you know, an, an unbroken culture of more than sixty thousand years, and and it talks about where we are um, now, you know, and it is a it's a collective experiences of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people since uh, you know since colonisation. Welcome to episode 194 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from inspirational people to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Ville, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. Some years ago, while living in Broken Hill, I was privileged to work closely with the local Aboriginal community. And it was through this work that I learned the very real and tangible power of storytelling to bridge gaps and help foster positive change. As a non-Aboriginal Australian, this experience helped motivate my desire to understand my Australian story in a way that connects to, acknowledges past hurts and celebrates the incredible stories of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes. Thomas Mayer is the National Indigenous Officer at the Maritime Union of Australia and a passionate advocate of the Uluru Statement and the three reforms contained within it. In fact, the statement is an invitation to all Australians to walk together and support the proposed reforms to create a better future for the entire Australian nation. If you believe that the First Nations deserve to have a voice, this interview with Thomas will help you understand how to show your support. In episode 194 of Be The Drop, recorded live at the Adelaide Writers' Festival, Thomas recites the entire Uluru Statement, which he knows by heart. He explains the journey to create his book, Finding the Heart of the Nation, shares some helpful resources and extends an invitation to join the movement. This is Thomas's version of Be The Drop. Are you considering starting a podcast? At Narrative Marketing, we deliver a full range of podcast production options. Or if you'd like help getting started to produce your own content, we also deliver podcast training programs. Hit the link in the show notes for more details. Thomas, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. No worries, Amelia. Well, we're here by the banks of the River Torrens at the Adelaide Writers' Festival, which is a pretty nice place to be, and you've just given your session on the Uluru Statement, so I want to ask you a few things about that. And to get the episode started, I get my guest to explain an item of significance, and for you, that's a pretty special thing, and obviously very relevant and apparently you can recite it from heart so obviously people can't see this but he hasn't got it written in front of him so let's see how Thomas goes. We gathered at the 2017 National Constitutional Convention coming from all points of the southern sky make this statement from the heart. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nations of the Australian continent and its adjacent islands and possessed it under our own laws and customs. This our ancestors did according to the reckoning of our culture from the creation, according to the common law 
from time immemorial and according to science more than 60,000 years ago. This sovereignty is a spiritual notion, the ancestral tie between the land or Mother Nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom remain attached thereto and must one day return thither to be united with their ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil, or better, of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished, and it coexists with the sovereignty of the Crown. How could it be otherwise? That a people's possessed the land for 60 millennia and this sacred link disappears from world history in merely the last 200 years? With substantive constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through as a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. Proportionately, we are the most incarcerated people on the planet. We are not an innately criminal people. Our children are alien from their families at unprecedented rates. This cannot be because we have no love for them. And our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. They should be our hope for the future. These dimensions of our crisis tell plainly the structural nature of our problem. This is a torment of our powerlessness. We seek constitutional change to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our own destiny, our children will flourish, they will walk in two worlds, and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda, the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We seek a Makarata Commission to supervise a process of agreement making between governments and First Nations and truth-telling about our history. In 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. We invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. Well done, and you did recite it. So you've obviously said that statement a number of times. It's taken a bit of practice and the courage to not be afraid. Well, I couldn't be afraid to get it wrong. So I got it wrong a few times in front of a lot of people. <laughs> well, it's obviously something that's very important to you and is the culmination of a, a journey that you've been on, but not just yourself. A number of Indigenous Australians have been on this journey and, and I like in that statement that it invites Australians to come together and join. And as a non-Indigenous Australian, I really like that I feel included in that Uluru statement and, you know, as many non-Indigenous Australians, I, I do sometimes think, what can I do? What is my part? How do I do things in a respectful way? Because I feel there's a lot of education missing for me. I went through um, an education where we got a very brief overview of Indigenous Australians, but realistically it was mostly from a British um, invasion or colonisation was the terminology used instead. So there's a couple of questions in that. Obviously this is a big conversation to be had, but I'd like to go back first and tell I'd like for you to explain to us why you think that statement is so important. Well, um, it's, it was the beginning of a journey for me, you know, as far as taking it around and, and fighting for what it calls for. But really the Uluru Statement uh, captures our history from, you know, before colonisation, um, who we were, you know, um, uh, you know an, an unbroken culture of more than 60,000 years. And, 
and it talks about uh, where we are um, now, you know, and uh, it is a, it's a collective experiences of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people since, uh, you know, uh, since colonisation. And it, um, it is important to me because I understand that there is this major problem that we have, um, the injustice and the statistics that don't lie about um, the effects of uh, genocide and exclusion and, and um, forced assimilation. Um, and then it, it proposes a way forward. And it is a very inclusive thing. It's visionary, something that this country has lacked, um, visionary uh, documents like this. And, uh, and it's an invitation to walk with us to complete that journey and, and be a, a nation that's whole and some place that we can be proud of. And since then, since that statement and the, the conference at Uluru, uh, you've been on a journey quite literally around the country um, sharing this, this statement and the intent behind it and promoting what it's asking for and more recently released a book kind of called so that, a book titled Finding the Heart of the Nation which talks about that journey and it's a beautiful collection of stories. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks. So tell us about that journey. What's that been like? Are oh, you still well, journeying, aren't you? Yeah, it's still going because we're <laughs> going to keep fighting for this until we get it. Um, the, the journey for me really began straight after Uluru. There was no money in a campaign or anything and I was fortunate enough that I had the great support of the Maritime Union of Australia, my union, and uh, Arnie Pat Anderson, who was the leader of this process that, um, that brought about the Uluru Statement, went and met with our National Secretary and, and asked us if... Um, if I could be lent to the cause, basically. So I was seconded to the movement. Um, and so with the resources of the union, I, I was able to travel with the Uluru Statement, this beautiful canvas. It's a, you know about 1.8 metres uh, in length and uh, 1.6 in height or something like that. Um, and I knew it was a powerful tool that people had to see. You know, It was this sacred object that really compelled people, You know, not just those eloquent words, but this beautiful artwork by um, Anangu Law Woman, Rini Kulicha, Charmaine Brumby, Selena Kulicha and Happy Reed um, that symbolises our coming together and the Chukupa, you know, these ancient storylines. People see this thing and, and when you explain the significance of it and what it calls for, they support it. So, you know, I set about on that journey um, as well as, you know, other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders did as well. And, uh, and we've made a difference, you know, this is still, even though the government has tried to kill this since 2017, it's still a live political document that is only growing in support. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's incredible the number of people I've talked to and they don't know yet about the Uluru Statement, so we, they, we definitely need to get more of this movement out. However, having said that, we've just finished your session uh, at Adelaide Writers' Festival and to a standing applause, um, yourself with Professor Megan Davis as well speaking on the statement and how important it is. And that was a really passionate, you know, I had tears in my eyes. I, I wasn't alone, you know, so there is definitely a growing amount of support going. How are you feeling on the ground? What's, what happened as you went around and told these stories and collected other stories? Well, we started with nothing really, I mean, other than the Uluru Statement and that wonderful moment uh, and those proposals. Because almost immediately Barnaby Joyce came out and said it was a third chamber, which is a lie. You know, it was fear-mongering to try and make Australians think that we're going to steal their backyards and veto legislation. Um, and he's since apologised for that. But then Malcolm Turnbull continued to say that. 
and continues to this day to um, to his disgrace, I think. Uh, but um, you know, the the movement I can feel every time I talk to people, it grows. You know, and uh, I've felt a, a real shift. You know, it hasn't stopped growing, um, but I've felt this real shift recently as we've started to hit the mainstream. You know, and yes, yeah, still a lot of Australians don't know about it, but that's that's our job to continue to grow it. But, you know, in Marie Claire, you know, there was this great um, thing with a whole lot of Indigenous celebrities. Um, we'll be seeing a lot more about it, you know, in the, in the next and that six was a months. Great, it was a beautiful article too. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a beautiful article and, um, and it's, it's, it is growing, you know, and, um, and we've shifted the politicians. That's the thing. Sometimes in campaigning like this, you know, it's extremely difficult, um, but you need to celebrate your wins, you know, and we have moved it from complete... Um, disrespectful dismissal back in 2017 to a position now where the Uluru Statement is, a, is acknowledged as the most strongly desired and only reform uh, on the table, you know, to give us a voice as that first step to um, addressing all the issues that we need to address. Yeah, so, you know, in, that, in your presentation or conversation, you were talking a lot, yourself and um, Professor Megan Davis, about the three areas, so being voice, treaty, truth of the Uluru Statement and, and the reforms, that proposed reforms that sit behind it. Can you perhaps explain, you know, why that voice, what 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 does that actually mean? So, you know, for, for the Australian's general wider public, I mean, constitutional law is pretty complex, right? I mean, some of the stuff that <laughs> Megan really Davis simple. was saying, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she knows her yeah. She's an expert. <laughs> like, yes, but constitutional law. Like yes, a, thank I'll, you. <laughs> I'll speak it like a wharfie because um, that's what I am. So basically it's a representative body. That's all it is. It's a representative body that is protected by enshrinement in the rule book of the nation, the constitution. So if we think of the constitution as a rule book, all it is is saying that the rule um, is that when there are decisions made that affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, they get a say. And it's very simple. Um, the other, all of our representative bodies in the past have been destroyed um, from the 1920s. The first Aboriginal political organisation was the Aborig uh, Australian Aboriginal Progressive Association, uh, and the first president of that, an Aboriginal man, was the uh, was a Wolfie like me. Um, but the that organisation was destroyed by the authorities, the protection board that controlled our lives, attacked it, attacked those people that were, you know, the leaders of it, um, and there's been many representative bodies since then um, that have all suffered that same fate. And so it is extremely important that we put this voice in the rule book so that it cannot be destroyed again. That's all it is, representative body that can't be destroyed by politicians. Yeah, and so obviously coming from, from my perspective as a non-Indigenous Australian, um, you know, it, it's like there is, I do have conversations with people, you know, other non-Indigenous Australians, and there is this, this, we don't know how to have the conversation properly. What, what is your advice around that? Well, I, I advise people to use the Uluru Statement to have that conversation. It's their um, beautiful, powerful, eloquent words. Use that statement as much as you can. But also read, you know, read the Referendum Council report, the final report that, um, that has the entire Uluru Statement in it, you know, which is more than what I read. There's actually a whole history of our struggle that we put together and, uh, you know, um, and an explanation of the reforms. Read uh, people like Professor Megan Davis, the essays that she writes, Teela Reid, a young Wiradjuri Wild One lawyer. Um, my book is helpful. Um, and then, 
you just have the courage to have those conversations and share the Uluru Statement as that, that key tool. Mm. I think there's also a sense of, of guilt that people want to... It's, it's a difficult truth to face for non-Indigenous Australians that throughout history, you know, our ancestors have been involved in, in this slaughter. You know, that's, uh, I think, but we have to move beyond that. Yeah, but mean, it is I a think, challenging yeah. thing. Like, you know, yeah. how, how, do you, how do I feel about that? Yeah, I think you should be motivated to make change. You know, if you feel guilt, that's okay, that's natural. You know, but guilt isn't going to change anything unless you do something about it. And that's the wonderful thing about the Uluru Statement. It quite specifically says from a national consensus as well, you know, not just the opinions of a few, but a national consensus that came from a really well-resourced and carefully designed process. It says what we want you to do, and that's to help us set up this voice as a first step, constitutionally enshrined voice. And what I forgot to say earlier, there's a, a website, you know, there's campaign tools, www.ulurustatement.org. Get on there, use those tools to help spread the word. And it, and it does, I've, I've been on the website and there is quite a lot of really useful information, you know, from welcome to country to a whole range of things that people may feel challenged in navigating if they don't have a local Indigenous person that they can talk to and speak with. And, um, you know, it's a great collection of resources. Yeah, and that, that website is going to be improved uh, substantially very soon, so it'll be even more useful. So looking forward then, what, what are you really excited for and also what do you see as the biggest challenges? I'm really excited that we've got an opportunity to change the way that this, country, um, this country's relationship with First Nations people. That's our opportunity and we can't squander it because, I mean, when I, when I started uh, being involved in the process, I went to a trial dialogue in, in Victoria in late 2016 and I nervously asked a question in the, of the room because I was nervous because it was mostly elders in that room. Have, have we had an opportunity like this before? You know, this wonderful process that we're about to embark on. And the answer was no. Um, and so I'm excited that we have this opportunity, that we reach that consensus in the heart of the country. And, uh, you know, we just have to have the courage and the vigour to, to pursue it. And, and it is that the profound, for me, it was a profound moment because you reached that consensus. And I think that that might be slightly undervalued, probably not within the Indigenous community, but certainly from outside because there hadn't been that the big group coming together and, as you mentioned, the dialogues around. So it wasn't just that the one Uluru conference. There was a whole range of um, dialogues that went on before to feed up into that. So it brought together a huge amount of opinions and perspectives. And, yeah. and you spoke during your session about the, it was a three-day conference and the tensions in there, because it's not like everybody just agreed. I mean, gosh, all you have to do is ask people what their favourite colour is and you'll <laughs> yeah. get differences of opinion. So yeah. this is a lot more important than that. Yeah, we're talking about the rule book of the country too, you know, like the, the constitution. Um, after we had not been asked if we were interested in constitutional recognition um, 10 years ago, you know, this has been a long national discourse, actually, constitutionally recognising First Nations people, and we'd never been asked. So that also caused a lot of tension. Um, but, you know, I mean, how incredible, you know, how profound is it that we did reach a consensus? Mm. 250 of around 270 of us... Um, and to expect that we're going to have a 100% agreement, you know, that's just to dehumanise us. Uh, so it's, it's great, you know, we've got to, we've got to pursue this. Mm. And I had a question there and it just flew out. Oh, I know. Um, you mentioned that at the beginning of the conference there was a video that was showed that was quite 
you know, had an impact and really helped um, set everyone's consciousness about the, the journey that you're about to go on. Is that a video that's widely available? You know, pardon my, I don't understand naivety, but, but yes, is that available? Yeah, it is. Um, so uh, it's been amended, you know, to, to suit um, releasing on YouTube. Um, it is, it was by Rachel Perkins, world-class filmmaker. It was a 20-minute film originally. I don't know what it is now, but it took us from, uh, you know, colonisation through all these moments where our people have come together and reached a consensus, um, you know, in different ways, not as extensive as the Uluru process, but in different ways, like the Yukala Bark petition, which was about, um, you know, uh, trying to stop uh, uh, Alcan, uh, Kamelko, from, um, from building, you know, digging up uh, Yolnu land, um, the Larrakia petition to the Queen, the Barunga Statement, all these times where we've come together and um, put proposals to a king or a queen or a government and um, and had those rocks, uh, those hopes dashed against the rocks of political expediency. You know, learning all of that um, and how they were put to kings and queens and not realised um, the lesson to put it to the Australian people this time. Um, I'm probably saying this a bit long and, and all that. Yeah, sorry. Is that something that you think would be impactful in schools? Like, should should is that the sort of education that we need to be adding so that future generations are more informed as they're coming through and can be therefore more supportive because there's a greater understanding. Yes, this um, film by Rachel Perkins that took us from the impact of colonisation all the way through some wonderful moments in history where we've put put things forward and uh, and and lost those uh, those proposals. You know, had our hearts broken and um, and all that. You know, this film is a good uh, way to understand that history of our struggle, and it's available on YouTube if you search. Um, uh, Uluru Statement Teaching Resource, I think it is, um, that, that's there. So people could, you know, potentially organise a community screening or contact their school and ask the schools to view it, you know? Like, is that the sort of thing that you think, you know, we're talking about this grassroots movement, how we can make a difference? Is that the sort of thing people could do? <laughs> yeah, that'll be really useful, you know. Um, have readings of the Uluru Statement, show that film, um, have discussions, have regular meetings, you know, even if it's just your suburb, have regular meetings about little things that you can do. Well, people can do everything within their capacity uh, to move the politicians and to grow the movement. Those are the main things, you know. Um, sharing the Uluru Statement, using social media as a tool, you know, it's free, just hashtag Uluru Statement. The politicians are watching that stuff. Um, they get reports on how much, you know, these things are uh, are spoken about. So. Even that, you know, that would be powerful. Uh, screen the film, you know, screen the film in your community or to your family about the Uluru Statement um, and, and the Uluru Statement itself and just spread the word like that. But there's no action that's too small in this movement. You know, you've just got to do everything that you can. And definitely have a look at a copy of your book, <laughs> Finding yeah. the Heart of the Nation. I, as I said to you as we were walking over here, I recommend it to everyone because it's got such a collection of different viewpoints and I think that's what we need to do. We need to be empathetic and understanding of the different viewpoints. So. Yeah, that's it. I, I knew that would be powerful. You know, after being on, uh, on the road for 12 months with the Uluru Statement, I thought, what else can I do? It's my gift to the campaign. I, um, I don't make any money out of it. All the author royalties go to the MUA and the MUA is putting every cent into stickers and things to drive politicians mad. Um, we had an action in Cronulla where we got these banners made up and these heart-shaped things that say um, we asked residents, you know, voters in, in the electorate of Cook, Morrison's electorate, 
um, you know, to uh, tell Scott Morrison to get some heart, you know, things like that. But the book is full of, um, you know, these really wonderful Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that I met on the journey. And, uh, and I realised after 12 months of travel that one way I could help people understand and, uh, and be motivated um, to walk with us is to share their stories. And that's what the book's all about. Yeah, because for some people, you know, it's well for a lot of us, it's impossible to spend 12 months travelling around Australia and learning these stories. So at least through your book, we can go on that journey. Yeah, yeah, I try and be descriptive. You know, I talk about areas that I've been to, you know, and some of the beautiful places in the country. There's lots of amazing photos, you know, and a lot of them were taken just with my iPhone, but they turned out good, you know. It's, it's a beautiful book. Hardy Grant did a wonderful job on the cover and everything. So, yeah, it's, it'll look nice on your mantelpiece as well as, um, you know, teaching about the Uluru Statement and motivating you. Oh, well, Thomas, thank you so much. In conclusion, though, can I ask you for Thomas's Be The Drop tip? So that's your top tip for communication that motivates and inspires. Well, I think do what, you're, what you believe in your heart. You know, if you have the opportunity to pursue something that you feel uh, so strongly about um, that you will get out there and challenge yourself, then grab that opportunity and, and use that um, and use it to make the change that, uh, that you need and your loved ones need. I mean, our society needs that right now, you know, whether it's climate change, um, you know, Indigenous voices and agency, just follow what your heart believes in. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.